0: Uh, As we study about discipleship and our topic, our series that we are continuing, still talking about reaching our city. Amen. I said amen. (laughs) This is a dead church today. What's going on? As we study about discipleship, one of the uh, primary requisites which we must settle in our hearts is that this thing is not about us. Amen. You have to get that straight. That this thing is not about you; it's about somebody else. Amen. Amen. It's about somebody else. Hallelujah. And and once you settle that in your heart, discipleship is gonna become much easy. Uh, yesterday, I was talking to one of my uh, disciples. He lives in Boston, uh, Massachusetts. And uh, he went to study at Dartmouth, and he called me. He he wanted advice on some issues that he was going through in life. And um, as we were talking, and I was counseling him and helping him and so on and so forth, it it was quite interesting, uh, the thoughts that started coming to my head. When I was the youth pastor, when I started discipling him back in 2004, he came to me and he said, Pastor, I want to go to an Ivy League college. And at that time, I didn't know what Ivy League was. Because the president had told us that the, the UZ was the best thing that had ever happened since sliced bread. And I believed him. Amen. How many of you know that you are supposed to believe your leaders? So to me, the best university was in the country. So he came to me and he said, Pastor, I want you to help me pray so I can get a scholarship, a full scholarship to go to this college. So, uh, because of my ignorance, my faith was not limited. How many of you know that sometimes ignorance is good? And I'm talking about ignorance to the world system. Sometimes you have to be ignorant about what cancer is when you pray for people that have cancer. Because the reason why your faith is limited is sometimes you have too much information on what cancer is and what HIV is. And you know the limitations and how they cannot get a cure and it limits your faith. And because I didn't know how grand this school was, man, I just unleashed my faith. I knew everything was possible. Amen. And then as I looked back, I was like, Man, God, I believed you that you could get this man into an Ivy League college to study an undergrad? I can believe anything. Amen. 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 And and we were chatting and I asked him, I said, So when and how did this Ivy League thing started? And then he said, well, Dartmouth was founded to teach the Bible. That's how it was founded. And then, you know, something in my spirit kept prompting me to go and study on all the other Ivy League colleges. And let me tell you, all of them were started for discipleship. Number one, Harvard. Harvard was founded in 1645 in anticipation of the need for training clergy. For those of you who don't know what clergy is, it's pastors. Harvard was founded to train pastors, all right? For the new commonwealth, a church in the wilderness. Harvard was formed in 1636 by vote of the great and general court of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. And this is what the New England's first fruits, it was a magazine, in 1643, said about Harvard. After God had carried us safe to New England and we had built our houses, provided necessities for our livelihoods, neared convenient places for God's worship, and settled the civil government, one of the next very important things we longed for and we looked after was to advance learning and perpetuate its posterity, dreading to leave an illiterate ministry to the churches. They're saying, man, we didn't want to leave an illiterate church behind. We had bought our houses, bought our nice cars. Isn't it the same thing that God told the uh, Israelites in Deuteronomy? He said, now that you've built your nice houses, you're driving nice cars, you must remember the Lord, for it is he who has given you the power to do what? To create wealth. That he may establish his covenant in the earth realm. And this is what they began to say. We don't want to leave illiterate ministers behind. When we, our present ministers, shall lie in the dust. And as we were thinking and consulting how to effect this great work. How many of you know that discipleship is a great work? Amen. Listen, I'm all about prosperity and you prospering. I enjoy the prosperity of God. But discipleship is far greater than all the prosperity you can have in the world. Listen. Listen. You can drive a nice car all you want Live in a nice house all you want And I'm all for it In fact just two days ago we went to uh, Take delivery of my wife's new car We believe in new cars Amen. Amen But the objective Is for you To know that discipleship Is what God put you In the earth realm for So that you can reach another With the gospel Hallelujah uh, this is good. It pleased God to stir up the heart of one Mr. Harvard, a godly gentleman and a lover of learning, then living amongst us to give one and a half of his estate, it being about 1,700 pounds, to the erecting of the college. And he gave up all of his library. After him, another gave 300 pounds. Others after them cast in more, and the public hand of the state added the rest. The college was by common consent appointed to be at Cambridge, a place very pleasant and accommodated, and is called according to the name of the first founder, Mr. Harvard. That's why it's called Harvard College. The reason it was founded was to teach Bible. That was the original intent. How many of you know that how you start a thing will determine how the thing will be established? The Bible clearly says, in the beginning, God. If you start with God, everything you do will be established. They started in God and Harvard today is the biggest, Pastor Trevor can correct me, endowment fund. It's probably the oldest college. It's the biggest endowment fund in the world. Biggest research center in the world. you went to Harvard Business School, man, they'll train you. But what was the original intent? To train nations to understand the Bible. Let's move on to the next one, Yale. Yale traces its beginnings to an act of liberty to erect a college school passed by the General Court of the Colony of Connecticut on October the 9th, 19, 1701. While meeting in New Haven, the act was an effort to create an institution, watch this, to train ministers and laymen to be leaders in the church in Connecticut. Soon after, a group of ten congregationalists, in other words, a group of ten pastors, ministers, Samuel Andrew, Thomas Buckingham, Israel Chauncey, Samuel Mather, Timothy Woodbridge, all alumni of Harvard met in the study of Reverend Samuel Russell in Brantford, Connecticut, to pull their books to form the school library. Why was it founded? To train ministers. And not only that, to train laymen in the church so that they could take up ministry positions in the church, so that the gospel could be preached. Right after Yale, we have Princeton. The Presbyterian Church founded the College of New Jersey, later Princeton University, in 1746. In order, watch this, to train the ministers. These are the biggest institutions of learning in the world today as we speak. Bigger than Cambridge, bigger than Oxford, bigger than any, anything you can think of. Ivy League is way bigger. I didn't even know that. Started doing my research and I found out. Why did they start? To train ministers, the college was the educational and religious capital of Scottish Americans. In 1756, the college moved to Princeton, New Jersey. Its home in Princeton was the Nassau Hall, named for the Royal House of William III of England. And finally, Dartmouth, where my little uh, protégé went to. Dartmouth was founded by Mr. Willock. A Puritan minister from Columbia, Connecticut, we had previously sought to establish a school to train Native Americans as missionaries. Listen, all of this great stuff is founded for the purposes of the gospel. What did Jesus say? He says, whoever shall lose father, mother, husband, wife, house, anything for the purposes of the gospel, what will happen? is going to get a hundredfold now in this life and eternal life in the life coming after. Amen. 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 You do not lose by teaching another the gospel. In fact, you gain. Hallelujah. God has called you to be a disciple, a teacher of another. And as you do that, God will establish you. Just like Harvard, just like Yale. If you make it a number one priority to train somebody else, God is going to establish you. It's getting too cold in here. You mind switching it off? Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. So I'm excited that we are actually starting the uh, Charis Bible College with uh, Brother Andrew Womack. And I mean, this is just a great opportunity for us to train the next generation, with the gospel. Amen? And uh, for us to establish churches that will change nations. Why churches, Pastor T? We know that we are in the sixth uh, dispensation uh, of time in terms of the progression of how God outlined the world to be. In the beginning was the dispensation of innocence. Remember, in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And right after the dispensation of innocence was the dispensation of conscience. Remember in the days of Noah? And right after the dispensation of the conscience was the dispensation of the promise. When God gave the promise to Abraham and he said, I am going to bless you so that you can become a blessing. And right after the the dispensation of the promise was the dispensation of human government. Remember the Tower of Babel? They were trying to govern themselves. What does the Bible say about that? In Jeremiah chapter number 23. It is not in men that walk to govern his own steps. In fact, the steps of a good man are to be ordered of the law. Amen. They tried it and the whole system collapsed. That was the human government. Transitioning into the dispensation of the law. When God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. Amen. And right after the dispensation of the law is the dispensation that you and I live in. Called the dispensation of the church. God does everything He does in this dispensation through the institution of the church. He has called the church to be, watch this, stewards of His manifold grace. That was, that's what it says in scripture. We are the stewards of His manifold grace. God has called the church to do the work of the ministry in this dispensation. It is also known as the dispensation of grace. And it started at the day of Pentecost. God relates to us through grace, through the lenses or the prism of grace. That's how God relates to us in this dispensation. And when this dispensation comes to an end, the whole church is going to be raptured. Taken out of the air. The Bible says in the twinkling of an eye, we are going to be transformed, receive glorified bodies. Man, just change, just boom, become Superman in a moment. And it says we'll be uh, uh, ascending, ascended to heaven to go to God, and God will judge each and every man who will have ascended. And when God, guys, ladies and gentlemen, hear me very well. If you see yourself at judgment day, standing before God, congratulations, you've made it. The word judgment in the Greek is the Greek word bima, which means rewards. When you're standing before God in the reward center, it will be for God to give out rewards for all of the works that you and I will have done in the earth realm. Amen? Wherever you visit in prison. Jesus said, you've visited me, and you will get a reward for that. Wherever you give a cup of water and they are in need, Jesus said, you've given the water to me, and you'll get a reward for that. Wherever you take off your coat and give to, Jesus said, you have given to me, and you'll get a reward for that. We'll be standing before God in his reward center, and God will be giving out rewards. So don't waste your time trying to judge people. God will take care of that. Amen? Remember the story where the farmer went to plant wheat and the uh, enemy came and planted weeds in the night? What did Jesus say? He says, don't waste your time trying to pluck out weeds. A lot of us are wasting too much time trying to pluck out weeds instead of going out to waste time preaching the gospel. Amen? Amen? A lot of us spend a lot of time discussing how pastor this is not such an anointed man of God. How that pastor is a false prophet. Man, you could use that time to actually preach the gospel and leave all of that for God to take care of in due season. Amen. The Bible says in the end times, God will take care of that. It's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to go out into all the world and watch this, preach the gospel to how many? Every creature. That's your job. Hallelujah. And after we've been uh, uh, ascended, raptured into the heavenlies, uh, the Bible says there will be seven years of tribulation and you and I won't be here. Amen. The Bible says man, just pray that it doesn't happen to you while you're pregnant or in winter. This is what Jesus said. He said it's going to be terrible. He says the times are going to be Uh, worse than anything that has ever been experienced in the earth realm. And I mean, we've experienced some pretty graphic, crazy stuff in the earth realm. I mean, think of the days of Hitler, Mussolini, and all those guys. I mean, people dropping bombs, atomic bombs in Hiroshima and stuff like that. Jesus said it would be worse than anything that has ever been experienced, those seven years. And after the seven years, you know, the nations will gather up to try and attack uh, Israel, and then Jesus was sent With all of us. We will be the soldiers in his army. Behind him. He will be riding on the white horse. And we will be behind him. Just riding with him. Going to Israel. To defend Israel. Amen. Man that gets me excited. I look forward to that day. But guess what. Before we even get to that day. Let's leave the dispensation we are in. And the dispensation we are in. Is the dispensation of the church. And everything God does in this dispensation. He is doing Via the institution and the instrument of the church. I always laugh at my friends uh, who run para ministries Who always have all these things to criticize about the church today. Oh, the church has done this. The church has done that. And I always say, you know what? Your church might be messed up. But just like in the days of Noah. I mean, that ship was a mess. Because all those animals would make their poo on the ship. Relieve themselves. Of but let me tell you. It was the best place to be at the time. <laughs> Amen? As much as the church is messed up, let me tell you, you want to be in church. Because this is where it's at. Listen, I know why I, I pastor a church. If you went to a lot of pastors and asked them, why do you plant churches? Why do you pastor a They won't tell you. They don't know. Just that... Because that's what the pastor next door does. I know why we plant churches and we need to reach out to communities so we can bring them into the church. Why? Because that's how God is dispensing his grace in this dispensation. Through the church. He did it in the dispensation of the law through the nation of Israel. He is doing it right now through the church. Hallelujah. Oh, that was just a theology lesson. Amen. I hope you can master that. Let us go now to Ephesians chapter number 3. Speaking of the dispensation of the church. Ephesians chapter number 3. Glory to God. Ephesians chapter number 3. I'm going to read from verse 3. From verse 3 to 6. This is Paul speaking of the dispensation of the church. And this is what he says. How that by revelation he made known unto me. This is Paul speaking. The mystery. As I wrote afore in a few words. Whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge. In the mystery of Christ. Which in other ages. That word ages is the same Greek word dispensations. He's saying this thing called the church, dispensation of the church, was in other ages not men known unto the sons of men. Now this is awesome. This is awesome for anybody who reads the Bible. This is why they wanted Jesus to set up rule and reign when he was walking down the earth. Because they thought that Jesus has come, had come to transition them direct from the dispensation of the law into the millennial rule of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I forgot to tell you. The seventh dispensation is called the millennial rule of our Lord Jesus Christ, where Jesus Christ himself will come into the earth realm and set up a government. Amen? And the Bible says you will run the government in a perfect environment. No needs, no sickness, no disease. But let me tell you, the Bible says even in that perfect environment, some will still disobey and deny him as the true king and the true prince of peace. See, a lot of people think, well, Lord, if you just just make my life perfect, then I'll obey you. If you just give me a vision, then I'll start laying hands on the sick. If you just do something, give me a goose bump or just tickle me, then I will start uh, 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 preaching the gospel to other people. If you can't do it right now, like what Brother Henry was saying, if you're not faithful where you are now, if you're not preaching the gospel to other people now, even if we made you a pastor, you would still not preach the gospel to everybody else. Amen? So the Bible says some will still disobey him, and after all of that, We will still have another judgment, but this one will be before God on what is called the great white throne. Now, that one will be a big one. See, because some will go to the left and some will go to the right. And you want to be the one and one of the ones that are going to the right. Amen. The Bible says those that go to the left will go to a fire, a pit of fire that burns for all eternity. Amen. As I was meditating today and reading on some stuff, I discovered that they had a new religion that is called Chrislam, which is a combination of Christianity and Islam. And then I began to think of how radical Jesus was. Jesus didn't say there are many ways to go to God. Jesus said there's only one way to go to God, and I am that way. And he began to say, no one will go to the Father except by me. So according to Jesus' assessment and Jesus' judgment, either you're a Christian or you are not. Either you're going to heaven, or you're going to hell. Either you serve God, or you serve the devil. According to Jesus, there is no in-between. And let me tell you, I don't want to test the system. Well, Pastor T, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't believe that. Well, it's fine. You can test this. I'm not going to be the one testing the system. It's because I don't want to find out when it's too late. That I could have received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and he would have changed my life. Amen. There's only one one way to God, ladies and gentlemen, and it is Jesus the Christ. He is the Messiah. There is no other way. Your ancestors can't do it for you. Buddha can't do it for you. Muhammad cannot do it for you. Only Jesus can do it for you. He is the only way to the Father. And here, scripture clearly says that the mystery was not known, made known to the people at the time. That's why they wanted Jesus to set up his government at the time. Remember the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus and said, Lord, when you set up your government, when you become the prime minister of Israel, please put one of my sons on your left and one on your right, so that we can run this thing for them. You see, and I don't fault them, because no one knew that God had a plan to set up church in the earth realm. It was a mystery revealed on the day of Pentecost. Boom! The Bible says, for which if the, the evils of this world, the, the princes of this world had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they knew that God had a plan to set up churches in the earth realm, they would not have crucified Jesus. Why? Because now we have billions and billions of little Jesuses running around the earth, healing the sick, doing more than what Jesus did. For why? Because scripture says Jesus himself declared that these little Jesuses will do what I did and greater than these shall they do because I go to my father. Amen. And you know, like the moon, I'm just trying to show you the significance of the church. And hopefully when we finish, you won't come to church late. Because you'll know how serious this is. This is serious business. You're not playing church. This is serious stuff. Amen? A lot of you make it 5, 15, 30 minutes to work. When it comes to church, you only make it 15 minutes after the service has started. In fact, you should be coming an hour before so you can serve your God. He is your God. He's not Pastor T's God. He's not Pastor T's church. This is God's church. He runs the show here. Not me. It's the Holy Ghost that runs the show. Hallelujah. I I was sharing with my friends growing up. They used to always tease me and say, you know, Tafari, you can't sing. And I told them, I said, I'm going to write a book called, I can't sing, but I'm a worshiper. You know why? Because God had revealed to me that worship has got nothing to do with singing. But it's got everything to do with the lifestyle that you live. If you prioritize your job more than you prioritize the kingdom of God expressed visibly in a church, guess what? You worship your job more than you worship God. Tell your neighbor he's talking about people behind us. He's not talking about us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. This is church, man. This is the ecclesia. This is this is where it's at. And Jesus Himself said, I will build my church. It wasn't Pastor T's idea. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The ecclesia, the gathering together of believers. Amen. And and just like Jesus is the sun emitting the light, the church is the moon. How many of you know that the church does not emit any light of itself, but that the church is a reflection of the sun? The church is supposed to be a reflection of Jesus and who Jesus is. We are the moon and Jesus is the sun, S-U-N. Now, what is the job of the moon? The job of the moon is to keep the tides in check the tides of the seas, so that they don't run over the land that you and I live in. What is the job of the church? The job of the church is to stop the evil, the tides of evil, from taking over our communities. As long as you and I are here and we can shanda masheke rebosa. As long as you and I are here and we can touch and agree on something, evil cannot take over our schools. Evil cannot take over our communities. But when the rapture happens... The Bible says the church will be taken out of the earth realm. Evil will prevail. That's why those times will be worse than any other time that has ever been experienced. Because right now when evil tries to prevail, we get together, touch and agree on something. The kingdom of God is established and it checks the tides of evil. But once that moon is taken out of sight, once that church is raptured and removed, evil is going to take over. For those seven years. Listen, we ain't playing games. When we come together, we're doing some work. When we declare a prayer meeting and we get together, touch on these prayer request, we're doing some work. We're stopping the tides of evil from taking over our communities, from taking over our families, from taking over our bodies. And watch this, from taking over our bank accounts. That's the job of the church. And when you get this perspective, man, you will value The gathering of believers. And let me tell you, church is not a building. Because once the church is raptured, (laughs) there will still be church buildings. We don't need buildings to have church. All we need is two to touch and agree that Jesus Christ is Lord. We have a church. Every Thursday we have churches in homes and we call them life groups.
1: Hallelujah.
0: That's what the church is. Amen? And this is the mystery. Go with me to 2 Corinthians. Man, I have a lot for you today. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. Still speaking of this dispensation that you and I live in. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. I'm going to read from verse 7. Ah, Jesus. Everybody has a part to play. Amen? Everybody. How many of you have ever watched the movie Rush Hour? Ever watched it with Chris Tucker and uh, what's the other guy, Jackie Chan? Remember the soundtrack at the end? Everybody was kung fu fighting. <laughs> and everyone in the room is kicking. Just everybody's doing something. That's the picture of the church. Everybody should be doing something. Discipling another. Everybody kung fu fight.
1: Hallelujah.
0: Verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom. Which God ordained. Before the world. Unto our glory. Which none of these princes knew. For if they had known it. They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men the things which which God has prepared for them that love him. A lot of religious preachers quote this scripture and they stop right there. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men the things that God has in store for you. In other words, your eyes ain't going to see nothing. Your ears are not going to see anything. It's not going to get into your heart. But that's not what this scripture is saying. How do I know that? Keep reading. But God has revealed. What no eye could not see, what no ear could never have heard, nor could it have entered into the hearts of men, God revealed it. And we can see it. We can hear it. It can enter into our hearts. God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit, capital letter S, the Holy Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received, someone shout, I have received, received. not the spirit of this world, but the spirit, which is of God, that I might know the things that are, how much? I didn't hear that. I didn't hear that. Things that are freely given to us by God. That's the dispensation of the grace of God, where God has prepared certain things for you, and watch this, he has freely given those things to you. Including salvation. The Bible says Jesus Christ was crucified before the foundations of the world. And that's the grace of God. The grace of God is God himself doing stuff for you without your cooperation. Amen? See, because any plan between two individuals is as strong as the weakest link. Any marriage between two people is as strong as the weakest link. Any secret between two folk is as well kept as the weakest link. So you know what Jesus did? The Bible says God looked on his side and there was no equal. Looked on the other side, nobody. And then he made this covenant By himself. So that you couldn't be a part of it. Because if you had been a part of it, as weak as you and me are, this plan could not have lasted a day. Remember, he tried it with Adam. How long did that take? So the Bible says he swore by himself. For which it was impossible for God to lie. And after he swore by himself, he said, now, here is the plan. I made it for you. All you have to do is freely receive. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Let us go to 2 Kings chapter number 7. Oh yeah. God has already ordained a hedge of protection around you and your family. That's what salvation is. Amen. Amen. Have you ever wondered why Goliath would always come out in the morning and challenge the children of Israel? Just every morning he'd come out and challenge. The Bible never said he came out and beat them up. He'd always come out and only challenge. You know why? Just like the children of Israel had put that blood on their lamp and the enemy knew that this is the bloodline that I cannot cross. Just like God had given the edge of protection to Job. He had given it to his church, Old Testament church, Israel. And the, Palestine, the uh, Philistines could not cross that bloodline. Amen? But guess what? They didn't know the children of Israel, man, they would worry and fret from the challenges, from trash talk. Just like a lot of you, just worry and fret. Listen, if the devil could snuff you out, he would have killed you by now. A lot of you worry and fret when you get fired on your job. That's just talking trash. He's just challenging you. Amen? A lot of you worry and fret when you have a sickness in your body and you start questioning Jesus. Oh, Jesus, are you really, really, Lord? Are you serious? That's just trash talk. The devil can't kill you. Amen? A lot of you hit a bump on the road, man. You were ready to quit on God. Just like David's four brothers, they didn't want to go to battle. They were not ready to do anything by faith. Why? Because Goliath was big. Have you seen Goliath? He's huge. Look at his biceps. And they were focusing on what Goliath was saying and his challenges, without focusing on what God had ordained His grace to protect them and everything that they own. Someone shouted, "I am protected." And you better stay in the protection. You know how you stay in the protection? Every born-again believer is in relationship with God. But not every born-again believer is in fellowship with God. Remember the story of the prodigal son? The younger son who took all of that stuff and went away? Was he still the father's son? But was he in the father's house? It's the same thing. Not everybody can quote Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place. Are you in fellowship with God or you are out there somewhere doing your own thing? Every born again believer is in relationship with God, but not every born again believer is in fellowship with God. And how do you fellowship with God? Through the word, through the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Get into fellowship with God. And when you're in fellowship with God, you can stand and say, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, is my refuge, my fortress, and in Him will I trust. And God will turn around and tell you, A thousand will fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand side, but it will not come near you. God will turn around and say to you that and no plague will come near your dwelling. Why? Because you have made the Lord, which is my refuge, your fortress. Man, we have to be in fellowship with God. We have to be in tune with the Spirit. Hallelujah. We say 2 Kings chapter number 7. Do you have it? 2 Kings chapter number 7. I'm going to read from verse 1. Then Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. He's still teaching about grace and the grace of discipleship. Amen. I said amen. amen. Listen, your amens won't stop me from preaching the truth. <laughs> oh, you know, Pastor, I'm not gonna give you any of my amens anymore. I'm keeping them. Keeping them. No, that won't stop me. Amen. No, no. See, I don't report to you. I report to God. After all is said and done, I have to stand before God and give him a report. Not you. Amen. 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 A lot of people do that. You know, when they join this church, they come to me so they can just tell me up front their expectations. I had a couple come to me, uh, my wife and I, and uh, they said, Pastor, we just want to tell you we are joining your church. We love your ministry. But the reason we left the church that we used to go to was because they preach about money. And I said, well, I'm sorry. I'm going to be preaching about money too. (laughs) (laughs) So you better make up your mind right now whether you want to stay or you don't. Because I'm not going to change because of your preference. I'm only going to change because of his preference. How many of you know that Jesus taught on money more than he taught on heaven? How many of you know that Jesus taught on money more than he taught on faith? Jesus taught on money more than he taught on healing. Why? Because if your relationship with money is messed up, you're not even serving God. Because himself, he said, listen, there are only two gods in the earth realm. Mammon and God. You cannot serve both of them. Either you serve and love the one and hate the other. In fact, he says if you love money to that level, you hate God. Or you love God and hate the other, which is the God of money. You won't let money rule over you or money tell you what to do people a lot of people will do crazy things for money over relationship we were at bible class the other day and uh uh, greg Moore was saying if your destiny is over there and you are over here and for you to get to your destiny you have to walk all over all of these people god's people who god loves who god has sent his one and only begotten son to die for and he treasures them If you're going to walk all over all these people to get to your destiny, you're not a child of God. Listen, when we stop going after people, we've missed the mark. Because God loves people.
1: Hallelujah.
0: And the reason why God blesses you is so you can bless people because God loves people. And you and I have to love people. Glory to God. Oh, Jesus. Let's go. And Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the men of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make the windows in heaven... Might this thing be? And he said, Behold, you shall see it with your eyes, but shall not eat thereof. Unbelief does not stop God from dispensing the blessing. Unbelief stops you from eating what God has given for free. God is not going to stop his kindness because there are some fools that won't follow his instructions. Amen? They will just not partake of what he's given. So he says, because you've said this thing, you're not going to eat thereof. Give it to me in the NIV. New Living, uh, New International Version. I want to read it to you in, an, in, a, in, a, in a language that you understand. Watch what it says. Verse 1. And Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a sare of flour will sell for a shekel and two seers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. You are saying, All of this stuff will cost 10 rand. And watch what the king said. Verse 2. The officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, Look. Look. Look, look, look. Even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven. In other words, even if the Lord gathered all of the power in heaven. Oh, Jesus. Watch what he says. Could this happen? Even if your God gathers all of the power, we stop all the refrigerators in heaven, stop all the TVs, stop the stove, so we can save up power to send to the earth realm. If the Lord did that, this thing is still not possible. That's what this guy said. I remember praying for someone. I think it was in San Diego. And they said to me, Pastor, I have a headache, I have a backache, uh, my legs swell, and so on and so forth. And then they ended uh, that whole thing by saying, if you can just take care of the headache, I'll be fine. I can live with the leg and the ankle. And I said, yes, that makes a lot of sense. Because if we took care of the headache, the swelling and the knees, lights would go off in heaven because there would be no power anymore. And she looked at me, she said, that was stupid, wasn't it? And I said, yes, ma'am. God can take care of all of that. How many of you know that the God that we serve can do all things? If he says he can do it, he'll do it for you. And that's the attitude you need to live with. Do you know why a lot of people are stingy and they don't give to God? It's because they don't believe what God's saying. Let me tell you something about giving. If I stood here with a bag full of money and I told each and every last one of you, That whoever brings a hundred rand, you're walking out of the door with a thousand rand. How many of you know that it would be stupid not to take advantage of such a deal? (laughs) A lot of you will queue up with your hundred rand. You take a thousand. Some of you will say, Pastor, in fact, I'll give you two thousand. (laughs) Amen? Amen. This is such a good deal. Some of you who don't have money, you know what you'll do? You will hug your neighbor and say, hey, listen, Baba, just give me a hundred rand. I know a scheme. I'll square you in 10 minutes. You know why? Because you left so much faith in that system. Now, God comes up with the same system to you every single day in his word. And he says, bring a hundred. I'll give you a thousand. And you know what we do? We say, Lord, uh, you know, I really need this hundred. No. God is saying, give it up. And we say, ah, no, Lord, you (laughs) know. No, no, I'm not going to do it. This was his attitude. Watch what happens. Verse 3. And then there was four lepers. At the entering in the gate, they said one to another, Why sit here until we die? If we will enter into the city, then the famine is going to kill us. And if we sit here, we're also going to die. Now, therefore, come, let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they shall save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall die. This is the most important conversation I've ever read in scripture. I mean, this boy started assessing their situation. They said, listen, if we sit here, we're dying. I've never understood someone, Lamech, who holds on to 10 rand. I've never understood that. I've never understood someone who's poor and stingy. You know why? Because 10 Rand is not going to do anything for you. (laughs) Might as well give it up. (laughs) And try God. (laughs) Because I have no hope anyway. (laughs) Amen? These guys were having a very intelligent conversation. If we sit here, we're going to die. If we go back to the city, there's a drought there. We're going to die too. So what are we going to do? Let us go to the Syrian armies. At least we will die with some action. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Let us dare to believe God. At least I will die. Listen, I always tell my wife, listen, if I die of sickness, I will die believing. Amen. Amen. I will die in faith saying the Lord is my healer. I will not change my confession. I will die having fun in the world. Amen. They say, listen, let's go there. Watch what happens when you step out in faith. Uh, Verse number four. If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is going to kill us. Now, therefore, come, let us fall onto the heads of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall but die. And they rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. When they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of the Syrians, Behold, there was no man there. Nobody. They go to the camp. The whole city was gone. The whole city was gone. What happened? For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and the noise of the horses. And the noise of the horses, even the noise of the great host, they said one to another, Lord, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore, they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for life. That's what they did. They fled for life. Why did they fled for life? Because the four lepers decided we're going to take a step of faith. And as they took a step of faith, God sent an ambushment for them. Amen. And as they were walking, he caused their enemies to hear. To hear as if it was a big army coming after them. And as they heard, the Bible said they deserted the whole city. Running away from four lepers who had no hope. But decided to take a step of faith in the direction of the enemy. Now, if you know anything about lions, then I like to watch the, uh, documentaries a lot. If you know anything about lions, usually the king of the pride, the male lion, is usually an old figure. He does not have strength to attack and to run and to do all kinds of stuff, but he still has a roar in him. So what they do usually is that they put him on the east side of the hunting field, and then the female lions, young ones that still have the vega, stand on the west side. So all the male has to do is to give out a roar. And you know what happens? All of the deers, the buffaloes, the everything starts running in the direction of danger instead of running in the direction of no danger. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you and proclaim and pronounce that where the roar is coming is where you and I should be running towards. You and I should be running towards the 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 plane of most resistance. Amen. Amen. I always say this. Can someone come to you and say, uh, the thieves broke into your house yesterday and stole a million uh, US dollars. What are you going to say to that? Did you see that? He said, I won't even concern myself with that. I don't have a million US dollars in my house. Amen. Amen. So if the enemy comes to try and steal something from you, it means you've got it. Use this strategy on him. If he's trying to steal anything from me, whatever he's trying to steal from me, it means I have it. And I move in that direction. Say amen to that. Watch what happens. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses and even the camp as it was and fled for their life. Verse 8. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it. Can Can you picture this man when I read the Bible? I see this man. You come to Johannesburg, everyone has left all the cars, the Lexuses, the Rolexes, the food, the drink, the clothes. The Bible says they went in there, they started trying on clothes. How does this look, man? And when it fits you, you go and hide it. Take all of the silver, went and hide it. How many of you know that God has no problems with the church having silver or nice clothes? This is another proof. Amen? They went to hide it. What happened? What verse am I on? Eight. And uh, they entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. Then watch this. This is the discipleship verse. Verse nine. Then they said one to another, this is not good. We do not well. This is the day of good tidings. And we hold our peace. If we tarry till morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore, come that we may go and tell the king's household. Give me verse 9 in the New International Version, NIV. Then they say to each other, we are not doing it right. Listen, church is not an exclusive club where we get together with our friends and everybody else. That's when the outside can't come in. We ain't doing it right. Amen. Your live group is not an exclusive club. If you do that, you ain't doing it right. He says we are not doing this thing right. This is a day of what? I didn't hear that. Someone shout Today. Is the day of good news. Man, it's good news that Jesus Christ came to die for you and me. And today is the day of good news. If we don't share it with other people, it ain't right. It's not an exclusive club. Watch what he says. And we are keeping it to ourselves. What's not right? To enjoy the good news and keep it to yourself. That ain't right. When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? (laughs) Five years ago, Pastor. That ain't right. Two months ago. That ain't right. This is the good news, man. When you get good news, don't you get excited? If you want to tell everybody about it. If you believe this is the good news, it's the same thing. This is the good news. And we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let us go at once and report this to the royal palace. Give me the last verse. In fact, one before the last verse. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I I want to show you what happened to that officer. Remember the officer? The unbelieving officer? Who said this was not going to happen? When this happened, they went and told the whole nation. The whole nation came, started businesses, and they started selling uh, flour at one shekel. Started selling wheat at one. The prophecy came to pass the next day. What happened to that dude? So they went and called out the city gatekeepers and told them, we went into the Aramean camp and not a man was there. No, did I read this? I didn't read this. This is one before, the last one. How many verses are there? 20. Give me verse 19. Hallelujah. So in other words, they went and told the king and the whole nation of Israel came to enjoy. Verse 19. 19. 19. There it is. The officer, it said to the man, look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates. of, You know some of your talk? You know some of that talk you talk? Some of that barbershop talk, you know? You know some of that talk? Just put yourself in these shoes. He said, look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates, I had a security guard tell me one day, he said, "Tafara, you're telling me that God can heal HIV? Do you know what HIV is, (laughs) Tafara? Do you know? Do you know? Have you thought about it? And I said, yes, God can. It's the same, it's the same, same mindset. Man, we have to be delivered from the mindset of impossibilities. Because the God that we serve is a God of impossibilities. Oh, Jesus. Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? The man of God had replied, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. Verse 20. And that is what? I didn't hear that. That is exactly what happened to him. For the people trampled him in the gateway, and he died. I wish today was a teaching on confession. Man, I would have told you the power of your time. But I have to quit because we are out of time. Why don't you stand on your feet? Praise the Lord. Man, we are going to take over this city. We have to share the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're scared, just stand on the sidelines and watch. Everybody is going to be kung fu fighting. Everybody will be sharing the gospel with their neighbors. Everybody will be sharing the good news. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We will not confess impossibilities. The gospel will be preached. We will share the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ with the nations. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to have our communion today, so I'm going to ask the pastors and the leaders to go and get the elements as we pray in the Holy Ghost.
1: of Jesus, Jesus.
0: It, like it means something to you. All To number 11 from verse 24 to 25. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. You may break the bread. And he said, Take it. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do ye in remembrance of me. His body, I want you to say these words after me. His body, His body was, wounded was wounded for my transgressions, for my transgressions. My transgressions. Bruised, bruised for my iniquity. My iniquity. The chastisement, the chastisement of my peace was upon him, was upon him. and by his stripes I, I am healed. Shout, thank you, Jesus! Thank you,
1: Jesus!
0: You may partake of the body. First Corinthians eleven twenty-five. After the same manner, also he took the cup, having supper, he said, "This cup is the new testament in my blood." This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. I want you to say these words after me. Because of the blood, of, the blood of, Jesus, of Jesus, my sins are washed away. My, sins are washed away. my conscience is purged from all dead works. All dead works. The, blood the blood of Jesus, it speaks of my victory. Of my victory. For, they For they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of their testimony. The of their testimony. Thank, you, thank you, Jesus. You may partake of the blood. Father, we thank you. We give you praise and glory. And everyone say it. Amen. And amen. Remember these words from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We love you. God bless you. Oh!
1: of Jesus. The sun On me. All the blood of Jesus. So yeah.
0: Off microphone.